please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we continue in our sermon series on 1 John. So I invite you to open up with me to St. John's first epistle to the church, 1 John. And as we open up, you'll see, if you haven't already noticed, that we're continuing to come back to some similar themes in his spiral method of writing. We see here a contrast between love and hatred. We see a contrast between truth and falsehood. And finally, we see that love is attached to truth and discernment. So as we look at those contrasts, which we already explored earlier in the sermon series, in our second sermon on chapter 2, we're going to focus today more on love. What is, it, what is this love that St. John talks about? And how is that love contrast with the love of our world? We've seen the contrast between love and hate, so look with me at verse 11, and we will start there. Chapter 3, verse 11, which Juliet read so well for us this morning. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And let's stop right there. When we talk about Christian love, what are we talking about? Well, obviously we're talking about the opposite of hate. As you've undoubtedly heard before, the word love in the Bible has quite a few different meanings. And there's actually quite a few different words for it in the original languages. As we speak about love today, it's important to contrast that with the way the Bible uses the word. For example, love today is associated primarily as a feeling or a desire. I'm in love with you, we say. Or I want, I love you and I want to be with you, we say. Or I as a passion, we say. Or maybe we see it as an attribute. She is just so lovable, we say. Or an affirmation. That's one we hear a lot now. If you love me, you'll agree with me. Or as a sign of loyalty. You don't love me unless you accept me. Those are all ways that the world uses the word love. And we have to be very clear when we're looking at the way St. John and the scriptures use love that it's not primarily in that way at all. Those things aren't bad necessarily, but they're not the foundation of Christian love. The Christian virtue of love comes from a Greek word that I'm sure you've all heard before, the Greek word of agape. Has everybody, everybody heard that word? Agape? Agape? Right? It's a word that means to give out of love of oneself. 
Indeed, St. John himself, in verse 16, points to the example of Christ when he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The apostle tells us that Christian love looks like Jesus. Looks like Jesus. And the Greek word here for this kind of love is a word that's not used in Greek literature outside of Scripture. There's a few places you'll find it, but it's used in a different manner in pre-Scripture. And even in the Old Testament, it's used sparingly. It's used very sparingly. For example, it's used to describe God's love for his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 13, we read, The Lord will love you. The Lord will agape you. It's translated in the Septuagint, the Greek version. Bless you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give to you. So, in Deuteronomy, God is expressing this deep love that he has for his people, the Hebrew people. But in the New Testament, Jesus uses this word not just to describe the follower of Christ or the believer, but to prescribe love for God and for our neighbor. Can anyone think of where we find that? Now, the 8 o'clock service had an advantage on you because they had Holy Communion this morning, which is your first hint. I've mentioned this to you before. But where do we hear this word used in Jesus's not just description, but prescription for Christians? Does anybody know? It has a name in the Anglican tradition. We either say the Decalogue or the Law, or we say the Summary of the Law, right? The Summary of the Law. That title comes from Jesus' own words. From Matthew 22, verse 37. I'm sure this will ring true to you. Hear what I You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, here's the thing. The word here is agape. And another translation for that word in the Latin is caritas, from which we get the English word charity. Exactly, charity. Why is that important? Because it gets us to looking at what the Christian virtue of love is. Now, in modern usage, the word charity has come to mean giving money, right? When we think of the word charity, we think of giving money to charities, right? But that's actually a very imperfect use of the word. It should be the focus of giving of one's self to those charities or giving of one's self in charity. That's the true use of caritas, which is the same word as agape. Why am I saying this? Because we've lost this idea 
in the faith, unfortunately, by language, that Christian love is particularly giving of one's self. Giving of one's self. So when we read Jesus' summary of the law in Matthew 22, we could easily change it to say, you shall love the Lord your God, or you should charity the Lord your God, or you should your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. You shall, what? Love, or you should charity, be charitable to, but perhaps would be better English, your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how that's different? It's not just this warm and fuzzy feeling. It's not just being kind. Kindness can be love, but kindness can also not be love. Let me give you an example. Have any of you ever struggled to love somebody? Have you ever struggled to love somebody? You know that you should love the person, but you just don't feel it. Well, you're out of luck if you're not using Christian charity in that situation, right? Charity is a choice, not a feeling. You can't make a feeling inside yourself. However, you can make a choice to love somebody. And lots of us experience this. We just don't use the language. When we are loving to our child, it doesn't mean that we are necessarily kind to them or give them what they want. Or when we're loving to our spouse. Or when we're being loved by someone who's confronting us about something we'd rather not look at. Do you see the difference and the importance of that difference? Charity is something that's giving of oneself with benevolence. With benevolence. That means with a good heart. So when Jesus tells us to love God and to love our neighbor with charity, he's speaking of a choice and a sacrifice and a virtue of that kind of love. And so is St. John. This love you're coming to see, if you haven't already, as you look at yourself, is not human. It's superhuman. It's beyond you. It's beyond me. That's part of the point. Anglican theologian Richard Hooker writes that charity has a divine origin, both in understanding and in the thing itself. Bear with me. This is Old English, which is sometimes worse than hearing a translation from some of the older saints. But try to track along with what he's saying, because this is from the 1600s. Richard Hooker says, There is not in the world a syllable muttered with certain truth concerning faith, hope, and charity. More than half laws, therefore, concerning these things are supernatural, both in respect to the manner of delivering them, which is divine, and also in regard to the things delivered, which are such as have not in nature any cause from which they flow. But where the voluntary appointment of God ordained decides the course of nature to rectify nature's obliquity withal. What's he saying? Well, he's saying that even the knowledge of God's love 
can only be revealed by divine revelation, let alone the thing itself. Do you see what he's saying? The manner of delivering them is divine, to use his words. But the thing itself is divine. And he goes so far, again, as to say that it's not something that's available naturally. That human nature does not have this in it. That we do not have charity in and of ourselves. But rather, that God... What's that mean? Corrects, right? He rectifies our nature with this gift of charity or love. Why is this such a paradox to us? Well, because God doesn't describe us as loving this way, but prescribes us to love this way. And if you're following along, you're probably thinking, well, Lord, aren't you setting your people up for failure? If you're demanding the love of him, which people don't have in their own natures, what's the answer? How can they love God that way, let alone love their neighbor that way? Of course, God never sets us up for failure. We know that. And so we have to keep going and see what St. John says. Look with me at verse 16 of chapter 3 through 18, where St. John writes, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So what is St. John saying? He's saying yes. He's reaffirming Christ's great commandment, his prescription, saying we ought to love. But anyone who knows human beings knows that that's not the case, that we don't love. And though we ought to, we can't. We ought to do many things, like keep the commandments of God. And yet, on our own, we can't. That is the truth. But look what this text actually says. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Stop right there. I know I just read something that we read, but I want to pull that out. So look at that. What is he saying? He's saying that God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than our nature. Though we do not have this love naturally, God makes a supply of it for us. But you see, our own hearts are unable to love this way. It's true. And we're not naturally to ha able to have agape love. It's true. But we're fitted to. All our nature demands something all our natural loves demand something in return. When we look at other loves, the love for a mother, for her child or baby, we see that that love is not one way. Of course, there's sacrifice involved, but there's also expectation. 
for a spouse or beloved, we have the same thing. The love is giving of oneself, but it's not completely charitable. It's not one way. It also expects something in return. That's not bad. That's not the point. But it's incomplete. It's not yet Christian love. This is why when I couple, when I counsel couples getting ready for holy matrimony, I explain the teaching of the church that both people must be baptized and Christians to be married. Because when you marry someone who's not a Christian, you can't get past transactional love. It's a big roadblock. That's all the further you'll get. Do you see? That's incomplete. That's incomplete. And so it is in our world. When our world tries to love, it does not have the capacity to do so if we're not found in Christ. But the good news, according to St. John, is that we are found in Christ, right? As Hooker says, charity, or that agape, is of divine origin, and it's given to us. It is supplied to rectify our natures. St. Thomas Aquinas says it more pithily when he says, in this way, charity is superior to the soul, inasmuch as it is participation of the Holy Ghost. It is inasmuch as it is a participation of the Holy Ghost. That's from the Summa Theologica. What is St. Thomas saying there? He's saying not just is Christian love or charity something given, it's actually a person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. Not to reduce the Holy Spirit to love, but the Holy Spirit is what enables us to love. So do you see, someone without the Holy Spirit cannot have Christian charity. Oh, it's true, they can engage in loves of various kinds, but they can't have Christian love. Normal human beings, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, who are not regenerate, cannot love in this way. They can want it, they can see the good of it, but they can't do it. Look at verse 21 through 23. Beloved, says St. John, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps this commandment, his commandments, abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So do you see what St. John is saying is that it's in the Holy Spirit that we're given this ability. Now, the other day, by way of illustration, I was mowing my lawn. And my lawn's not that big, and so usually I, I get all the the back and then I go around to do the front and then I come around the side and and at this point I had uh, missed a, I had uh, taken my lawnmower and I had flipped it over and rinsed it out and you know got got all the grass and stuff off all the gunk out of it and put it back in the garage and I walk back out and I look at the side of the yard and I had missed a spot 
between the bush and the house. There's about a spot as big as the pulpit here. Now, I thought to myself, I should get the lawnmower back out and do this right. But then I thought to myself, eh, that's a lot of work. And I'm lazy. So I got, went out and I got the weed whacker. Some of you know where this is going. As I was using the weed whacker, some of the spots in that part of the lawn were ground all the way down to the ground. And some of the spots, well, they didn't have quite the, the flowerage, the plumage on them, but, but they certainly weren't in level with the rest of the yard. I was using the wrong tool, right, to try to accomplish the right goal. I had good intentions. I wanted to get that done right, but I used the wrong tool. And so it was hopelessly a mock. And I ended up having to get back the lawnmower out and do it, and then wash the lawnmower again anyway. Trying to love, trying to um, expect Christian love out of a non-Christian or out of an unchristian world is like trying to weed whack your yard. It doesn't work. You don't have it. You can't do it. And what you do, you mess up. Just like that, when we try to look at the world without Christian love, we follow everything up. But the good news is that as Christians, you do have the Holy Spirit, and therefore you do have the ability to love in a Christ-like manner. In our baptismal service, we proclaim this truth. I'll just read a section of the prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. This is the prayer over the water. We say, in it, that is the water, we're buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. Through it, we are made regenerate by the Holy Spirit. What is this Christian love? It's that last part. We are made regenerate by the Holy Spirit. That means everything. That we're brought back alive. That our nature, as Hooker says, is rectified. It's straightened. That we're given the ability, as St. John says, to love as Christ loved us. And to love God and our neighbor as Christ loved us. So what are Christians to do, according to St. John, in order to build this virtue of charity? Well, first of all, we have to have knowledge of it, right? I know that most of you have probably heard parts of this sermon before, but I hope this has given you some enlightenment as to what Christian love is. Because to not know it means you can't practice it. Second of all, we have to recognize it in ourselves. Notice in verse 21, how does St. John address the people of God? He calls them beloved. That's not just a throwaway line. They're loved. He's saying you are loved. You have this love because God has given it to you. And therefore, as Christians, we have no excuse to not love as Christ loved us. You can't say there's someone that you can't love. That is just a falsehood. There is no one you can't love because God loved you first.
and because you have this Christian love. Now, whether you're willing to do it or not, whether you choose to do it or not, of course, that's your choice. But you can love as Christ loved because of the Holy Spirit. You can have that charity for all people. It is divine in origin, and it's been given to you. St. John writes that Christians should love in this way, not just as a counter to hatred, but as a way to imitate Christ himself. But St. John also tells us that we have to be wary, we have to be cautious of false loves, right? Did you notice that he goes right from this discussion of love into a discussion of discernment? It's kind of puzzling at first if you're not following what he's doing. Why does he go to a discussion of discernment next? Look with me at chapter 4. Beloved, there it is again, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits and see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And then jump down with me to verse, um, verse 4. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you see, what is St. John saying? That an element of love is good judgment, is discernment of spirits is knowing what's behind things. St. John writes that Christians must be careful in their love in this way that they don't get swept up in the matters of the world and in the usage of the world's love because it's different and it's contrary to God's. Jesus tells us this much in the Gospel today where he says that we are to judge as things truly are, not as they seem, with the illustration of the man being healed on the Sabbath. So the standard that John gives us in this letter, number one, is that we must see a confession of Christ in the flesh from someone who claims to be a person of love. Number two, those who speak of love from the world's perspective Embrace the world's priorities. Verse 5. Look at what verse 5 says. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. And finally, number 6. That those who profess to love, but have no adherence to the way of the apostles, are false prophets. Look at verse 6. We are from God says John. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice the apostle firmly advocates that Christians love, but he couples that with truth. That love and truth are united and linked. That you can't have charity without truth. That you can't have love without this Christian charity. As we go forward, it's important for us as Christians to understand 
godly love, not just in an intellectual level, not just being a people who love with words, but as a people who love with deeds. And what that means, quite simply, is to discern truth, is to try your best to promote the good of others with all benevolence. That is Christian love. Now, that's a hard thing to do. It's an impossible thing to do without the Holy Spirit. And it's a hard thing to apply in your life. And yet, here is what we're called to. We have to be given the guidance of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. And look at our collect for today. We'll pray it later on today since it's morning prayer. But let's pray it. I'll pray it together now. I'll pray it for you now. Look what it says. Grant us, O Lord, we pray, the spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we, who can do no good thing apart from you, may by you be enabled to live according to your will, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, know that you're beloved. Know that you're beloved. God has loved you so that you may love him and that you may love your neighbor. Amen.